Can I say one thing? And it is praise the Lord for you, God's church. Uh, we had over 150 volunteers on Tuesday night here at the church. Um, ministering to our community. Uh, I don't, I don't want to mention any of the other churches, but a lot of churches canceled. Uh, we didn't. Uh, we had it inside. Our 150 people uh, worked very, very well together. We're very flexible, uh, being missionaries, going on mission trips. One thing you'll learn is, is that you have to be extremely flexible in ministry. And our people were just extremely flexible doing ministry indoors. Um, we, we estimated about 1,500 people through our doors on Tuesday night. And we got to share, yeah. We got to share the gospel with every single family. That's a first for us. It's so super chaotic on, on, uh, on lights over Northwest and it, it, lots happening. We sometimes get to share, but we got to share a simple gospel message with every single family that walked through our doors. So just an incredible work by our leaders and God's church here to pull something off like that in a major switch the day before. So uh, just incredible that God continues to use his people for his glory. And we're going to talk about that uh, this morning in Mark chapter 3. It's one of the most amazing things that God has chosen Ordinary people to carry out his mission. Amen? It's not superheroes. It's not people that are super educated or have all these things together or super athletic or super famous that God chooses to carry out his mission. It's ordinary people like you and like me. Just your average Joe. And we continue our sermon series through the book of Mark. And we see this incredible thing happening here in Mark chapter 3. Jesus will choose some to carry on his mission of preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Amen? He will choose 12 ordinary men and call them his disciples. That word methetes in the Greek. Learners followers, who will then become his apostles, his sent ones. And God will choose these often confused, often broken, sometimes scared out of their mind individuals to advance the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. And you know why he will choose this kind of people because these are the only people there are, right? God will choose a broken, sinful people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the church. And maybe you're sitting in your seat today thinking to yourself, man, I'm not really good enough for God to use me. I'm not really worthy. Maybe, maybe you've done some things in the past you're really not proud of. Maybe you're saying, I don't have the skill set. Maybe I'm a bit shy. I'm a, a bit 
timid. I've really never had the seminary training or the, the extensive training and or maybe some other excuse you could come up with. You know what? This passage of scripture, when we read this, is for you. Because the king will choose some of the most unlikely people on the face of the earth to be his disciples. And ultimately, his sent ones. And it will be undeniable that when the people hear these men proclaim the gospel, they will be amazed that these uneducated common men only to recognize these men had been with Jesus. This is the king makes disciples. Turn with me to Mark chapter 3, verses 12 through 19. Your bulletin, as you see, your bulletin got a makeover this morning. And uh, it is, we are going to 19. I thought about going to 21, but we're going to 19 today because I'm going to save 21 for next week. So if you will stand in honor of reading God's word, we're going to open up to Mark chapter 3. Verses 13 through 19. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. And have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the Canaanian. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You can be seated this morning as we see the list of 12 ordinary men that Jesus will choose to call his disciples and ultimately his apostles or sent ones. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning as we enter into your word. May you speak to us. May you call us, Father, from where we are and whatever we're thinking and wherever we're here. Father, we pray that you would speak directly to us through your spirit, through your word. And Father, we pray, Father, that our hearts would be transformed, that our hearts would become softened to the word of God and to the truths of God, that we may worship the one true God. And Father, help us to be a people who have not grown hardened by the the world and the week that we've had, Father, but help us to be people whose ears hear and whose eyes see who Jesus is, and may we worship him in spirit and truth this morning. May we be active in our listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a movie called A Million Miles Away. You may have seen it. It's a recent movie, but it recounts the story of Jose Hernandez. He grew up in the fields of California, actually near the place where we uh, went to Santa Cruz on a mission trip. And his family was migrant workers from Mexico, and they were working in the fields of California. 
And when he was growing up, his parents were moving from field to field, place to place. And so he was moving all around the country. And he had one teacher who locked on in on him and saw his potential. And that teacher went and talked to the parents and said, hey, your son has a lot of potential here. And one of his school projects was to kind of determine what he wanted to be or present to the class what he wanted to be when he grew up. And he shared in his his grade school class that he wanted to be an astronaut. And through miraculous work and working hard, uh, the young man, Jose, went to college, first in his family to go to college. Not only go to college, but become an engineer. And so he got a, a great job and working as an engineer, as, a, as, a, as, as he was making money for his family. But he still wanted to be an astronaut. And so he applied to NASA for six years. Sorry if I'm, I'm ruining the story for some of you, but go see the movie. It's better than, than what I tell. But he, after six years, he applied to NASA. His wife finally sees the application. And she says to him, how important is this to you to get this application? He begins bawling. He's like, this is very important. I want to be an astronaut. But then he says there are 12,962 applicants in the last batch. And many are the elite of the elite. They're professional pilots. They have their own planes. They, they, they're scuba divers and they've had all these experiences and they're elite athletes and they're applying to this. They've been to Ivy League schools and, and his wife says, well, let's do whatever it takes. He says, no, the sacrifice is too much. And his wife says, no, we've got to go all in. If this is what you want to do, let's go all in. So he begins training. And he's like trying to run, right? And he's like overweight and he's like trying to run and he can't run anymore. And But he spends tons of money and sacrifices everything in order to become an astronaut. Twelve years later, twelve applications later, he takes the letter in himself. Only to tell the, the head of the, of the recruiting service that he will not quit until he becomes a NASA astronaut. You see, in the kingdom of God, doesn't, God doesn't choose the elite of the elite. He chooses ordinary people who are willing to sacrifice and give up everything for the kingdom of God and follow Christ. You see, in Jesus' response to the rejection of the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, He does something incredible here as he will choose the same number as the 12 tribes of Israel. Yet these will not be the elite men educated in the scriptures, not extremely great orators, not famous or incredible leaders, not the chief of the high priest. Jesus will choose 12 ordinary men that will be the ones who will turn the world upside down. They will be the ones to not only witness the three-year ministry of Christ, but also the resurrection of Jesus Christ, sharing and taking that gospel to the ends of the earth 
and ultimately giving up their lives as a sacrifice for that gospel to move forward. You see, the church will begin with Jesus' disciples. And you, the church, are their heritage. It doesn't matter what kind of education you have. It doesn't matter your background. All that matters is you have been with Jesus so that he can send you out to preach and proclaim this great gospel. You see, the great commission is yours. The people of God, the king makes disciples. Let's look at verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. This is our point number one this morning. The king calls people to himself. You see, the king, he calls people to himself. I love all that's happening here in the, in the passage in which Mark is recounting here this ministry. Uh, Luke tells us that Jesus spent all night with the Lord before he chose the 12 disciples. But he spends all night in prayer and then he calls to himself these 12 men. Just as God called Moses up the mountain to usher in the old covenant, now Jesus is asking 12 men to come up with him onto the mountain. Remember, the mountain is a depiction throughout the scriptures as the place where God meets man. Heaven meets earth. The Garden of Eden is depicted as a mountain. The recreation begins upon a mountain where the water resides in the days of Noah. Moses goes up the mountain in Exodus 24 to receive what? The Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant, the instructions... For the people of God in the old covenant. Let's just catch a glimpse of that moment for a moment as we picture that here with the 12 disciples. Exodus 24, 15. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. You see, it's so beautiful as Jesus now calls 12 representative of God's new covenant people up this mountain. And what is beautiful is God calls these disciples to himself as he will call all of the new covenant people in Christ to himself. Just like you and me, even today, the king calls to himself. God may be calling you to himself this morning to be in Christ 
to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's a beautiful thing. And the God of the universe, he calls ordinary people, ordinary fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, which are radicals against the Roman government. It's interesting that 12 disciples, one will be a tax collector who will work with the Roman government. Yeah, he he calls Democrats and Republicans to himself. And he says, hey, come and be with me so that I can send you out to preach, to proclaim this gospel. It's interesting, too. I was reading this, and it came across my mind that uh, maybe one of the commentators led me to this, but we are all in the wilderness time. Right now, we are in the wilderness. Moses goes up the mountain when? He goes up the mountain when God has already done his work of salvation, leading his people out of Egypt, and now Moses is going up to prepare the people to go into the promised land. But what does he have to do on the way to the promised land is he has to go through the wilderness. He has to trust that God is going to lead his people into the promised land. If they don't go just straight from Egypt and the work of God and the salvation of God into the promised land. There is a time in the wilderness. We, as disciples of Jesus, in the same way, have been, have seen the salvific work of God in Christ's death and resurrection, and now we await the promise of His eternal kingdom. We, as the church, walk in the wilderness. We are in the wilderness time awaiting the fullness of the kingdom of God. We've seen the salvific work of God, and we're waiting until its completion. We're on our way to the promised land. Some are closer than others in this room, right? The time will come as God's new covenant people will enter in to the kingdom of God. But while we wait, we have a mission, a purpose until we enter in to that kingdom. But it is the Lord who calls us, right? He calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Is he calling you this morning? John 6, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It's so interesting I was in a group this morning that the, was doing the um, questions, the application questions. And the first application question was, how did God call you and what was your response when he called you? And it's amazing to walk around the room of people whom the Lord has called at different points in their life and understanding that he has called him to be a follower of Jesus. 
Maybe it's the preaching of God's word on a Sunday morning. It may have been somebody talking to them in their home. It may have been their parent who walked with them as a young child, teaching them the word of God. It may have been somewhere in college or after college in which the Lord brought them to a point of brokenness or confusion about their life in which God would call them and lead them to a person who understand the truth of God's word to tell them that this that there is a God and that he loves you and that he has sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. It's amazing how God calls people all different ways, all sorts of ways, and yet the same way. He calls them to be followers, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he says in verse 14. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. This is point number two this morning. The king has a mission for those whom he has called. So not only does he call people to himself to be followers of Jesus, but not just followers, he has a mission for them. Those followers will turn into those who are sent. Those learners, those graspers for knowledge, those understanding of the uh, what it looks like to obey Christ will now turn to people who are sent on behalf of Christ to proclaim the good news. Let's start with the word appointed. And he appointed 12. In the Old Testament, the, the word was used in the appointment of priests. And it can be translated in the Greek to make or create. What a beautiful picture as Jesus will create a new covenant community of priests. Those who will act on behalf of the Lord. The remnant of Israel. They will not come through the religious establishment but through those who had been with Jesus. Isaiah explains to us what is happening in these passages of Scripture. As, I, as Mark is, is showing us Isaiah unfolded here. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. Again, 12 12 tribes, to raise up the 12 tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel, the remnant of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation. The servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. So you have all the wording in that Isaiah text as you have in this text. God has chosen you. He raises up the 12 tribes as the remnant here is the representative of the 12 disciples to do what? To be a light for the nations that the salvation of God may reach the ends of the earth? 
Are you kidding me? Mark is preaching from Isaiah chapter 49. Mark's telling the story as it relates to the prophecy. Here. You're getting it, right? You're getting how God is orchestrating all of these things and the appointment of 12 to be with him, to send out to preach is in fulfillment of what Isaiah has already prophesied. So when you... When you become, uh, uh, McKenzie talked about it this morning, when we give 10% of every dollar goes towards what we call the cooperative program, a large portion of that goes to the International Mission Board. That's the Southern Baptist arm of missions, global missions. Jordan and I got an opportunity to be a global missionary under the IMB for two years back in 2008, long time ago, 15 years ago. But when you go, you go to a place called the ILC. It's the International Learning Center. You go for training. And one month, Jordan said it was the best time of her life. Like one month, all you do is you live on this campus and you're trained by other missionaries. You're poured into by, by trainers and people who have been missionaries, who are current missionaries. And you live together with all these people who are going to go across the world to share the gospel. But the one verse that you would recite every single day that they would teach over and over to us was the one right here in verse 14. And he appointed 12 so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. It's, it's really the key to what we did as missionaries. It's the key to what the church does to be on mission. It's the key to what we're called to do in making disciples. The whole book of Acts plays out through this lens. The disciples, the learners, the followers, the students become those who are sent to proclaim. So the method that Christ displays is to be with Christ, to be sent. It's the beauty of discipleship in its finest form within the church in which someone stirred by the Lord God Almighty is called to Christ. They come and are in the body of Christ in fellowship within the church to be a learner, a disciple, a student, only then to be sent out to proclaim or preach this gospel to a lost and dying world. That's what the church does. That's what we're about. That's who we are. It's, it's everything that we do at this church. Gospel proclamation is the three things we do. Gospel life mission. Gospel proclamation is to draw people to Christ in which then they move into life on life, discipleship within the body, plugging in to be a member of the body of Christ to learn and to grow from one another only to be sent out on mission to proclaim the gospel. The goal of every believer in our church and in every church really ought to be such that we have experienced the body of Christ in such a way. We've been with Christ in the body of Christ in the church of God 
We've experienced Christ in such a way that all we can do is want to go and proclaim this good news. Not only your home, but your city and also the world. And is the church of God perfect? No, no. No, certainly not. But Christ is. And my prayer is, is that when you come into the church, into the fellowship and become a member of God's church, my prayer is that you see glimpses and shadows of Christ in his people who dimly reflect the glory of God. Sometimes you have to look real close, right? Like sometimes it's hard. But it's there. And it's beautiful. Robert Coleman, who wrote The Master Plan of Evangelism, one of the the great books of all time when it deals with discipleship, says this, Jesus had no formal school, no seminaries, no outlined course of study, no periodic membership classes in which he enrolled his followers. Amazing as it may seem, all Jesus did to teach these men his way was to draw them close to himself. He was his own school and curriculum. It is what we do at this church. We point people to Jesus. We follow Christ and we encourage others to follow him with us. We encourage them to draw close to him, to learn according to his word, to obey what he has commanded. Sometimes we get to see Jesus in each other and in the body of Christ. I started a nonprofit a long time ago. It was called this, Sit Down and Learn from the Master. And that's what Jesus is encouraging all of us to do is to sit down and learn from him. And what are these people preaching? So they're, they're called not only to, he appointed 12 so that they might be with him. That's not the end goal. The end goal is to be with him and he might send them out to preach. So what are they preaching? We go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 14. It says this, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he's sending them out to preach what? preach the kingdom of God is here. They're preaching a heart of repentance to turn from their sin and their wicked ways and believe in the good news of God's salvation that has come through Jesus Christ. Oh, what a message. Oh, what a salvation. That God himself has come to redeem humanity for, from their sin. That The Lord himself has come to rescue us. What a message that his kingdom is coming, is here. What a message. Because all we see a lot of in our world is the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness. 
All we see is the pain and the suffering and the heartache and the death and all of these things that are a result of the kingdom of Satan. Jesus says, no, the kingdom is here. I am ushering in the kingdom. I will come again and it will be perfectly holy. We are in our wilderness time, remember. But you can't forget about verse 15. And have authority to cast out demons. The authority of Christ to take back the kingdom from the kingdom of darkness. If you think that we're not in a battle, you would be mistaken. We as the church must push back darkness. Paul describes this battle in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Uh, we're going... Uh, the, a missionary with the IMB has asked for us to go to a city in which has no gospel witness, has never had a gospel witness, <clears throat> and to try and reach that city for Christ recently. I'm actually going with a few other people to that city in the next month, but what are we going to do in that city? Well, we're going to go walk the streets of the city and pray. That's the first element of trying to reach a city for Christ is to literally walk the streets and ask the Lord to be the God of that city. That's what we did in Santa Cruz when we went to Foothill Baptist Church. You see, the authority of Christ has been given to the disciples to take back the earth through the proclamation of the gospel and display and dispel any stronghold of darkness, to break free prisoners enslaved to sin and in darkness and crossing them over from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Amen? So, of course, he gives them the authority to cast out demons. He's taking back the kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. All is right here. So let's look at verse 16. And he appointed 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the Canaan and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, you might not get a lot from just reading that text, but when you understand who these men are, we see, we've seen that in the passages in Mark already. Some are fishermen. Some are just tax collectors. We understand our third point, which is this. The king chooses ordinary people to be his ambassadors. I think one of the reasons why Jesus chose these 12 is to remind us in the future years who would be disciples of Christ, new covenant people under the authority of Christ, to remind us that it's 
not in our accolades and how good or how powerful we are, but it's in how great he is. You see, if we were with him, our power is derived from him to do the work of the ministry. So what do we know about these men? Well, we don't know a whole, whole lot, but we do know some things. And one of the things that we know, which is one of the greatest things that we know about these men, is that they were confused. And Mark will will tell us this multiple times. They're confused. They're lost. They don't understand what Jesus is doing. They don't understand why he has to die. They don't understand if he's going to be resurrected. And they scatter like sheep, as the Old Testament describes. They're scattering like sheep when Jesus is, is in, um, in custody, when he's about to be crucified. Peter is denying the Christ. Peter is the leader of the twelve. He's denying that he even knows Jesus. It's, it's, it's mass chaos. You can't even find them. They're running away. And then... And Thomas even doubts. John tells us Thomas is the doubter. He doesn't even, he, he, he can't even say Jesus resurrected from the dead. And then, after the resurrection, after the ascension of Christ, guess what? They will give their lives for the message of the gospel. There seems to be some some three subgroups of four in these, all the, new, all the gospels that mention the 12 disciples have these subgroups. Some have different names because they have nicknames. Jesus gives them names. They have nicknames. They're a close-knit group. We know more about the first group of the disciples than the second group, and we know more about the second group than the third group. But Simon is always the leader. He's the, the first named here. And he would be named Peter for rock. He would be named that because he was always up and down. God, uh, Jesus wanted to show him what he should be like, which is a solid rock, right? But he was up and down a lot like me in some ways, right? And uh, my wife would tell you that. But he wrote two epistles. He was the leader of the early church and he was believed to have given his life for the message of the gospel. He was believed to be crucified upside down by Emperor Nero. The next two are the sons of thunder, right? James and John. As, as Peter would, Jesus would give a nickname to, these, uh, to Peter to be what he should be. The sons of thunder are a reminder of what these two should not be, okay? As they would be the ones who wanted judgment, against people who rejected Christ. Yet later, John, one of the sons of thunder, John and James, would be known for his understanding of God's love as he would write the gospel of John in the book of Revelation, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. And his brother, James, another son of Zebedee, His death is recorded in Acts chapter 12 as Herod would behead him for his faith. Now, Andrew rounds out the top four, and he would be the brother of Peter. 
It is said that he would go to the land of man-eaters, which is now the Soviet Union. Christians there claim as the first as the first to bring the gospel to their land. He also preached in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and in Greece, where he is said to have been crucified. Then you have the next four, which is Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas. Philip is the first... Um, he was first to be called a disciple. <clears throat> uh, he was first to be called a disciple, and he went to Western Turkey. He labored throughout Upper Asia, suffered martyrdom what, from what they call Hilopicus in in Phrygia. I don't I don't know how to pronounce all these words, but he was he was scourged, thrown into prison, and crucified on an X shaped cross. Bartholomew had wide missionary travels attributed to him by tradition to India with Thomas back to Armenia and also Ethiopia and southern Arabia. And it was said that he was beheaded in Armenia. Matthew, the tax collector, also known as Levi, went to Ethiopia as he would be the writer of the gospel of Matthew said to have been in Ethiopia where he suffered his dead by being chopped apart with an instrument that looked like an axe. Thomas, we know as Doubting Thomas, was probably the most active in the area of Syria. Tradition has him preaching as far as India, where the the ancient Marthoma Christians revere him as their founder. They claim that he died when pierced through with the spear of four soldiers. James, the son of Alphaeus, this James is reckoned to have ministered in Syria. The Jewish historian Josephus reported that he was stoned and then clubbed to death. Simon, who was called the zealot, he was against the Roman government. That's what he meant. So him and Matthew probably had a lot of good discussions by the fire uh, about politics. And yet, uh, it's one of the things that Jesus does so eloquent here, here is he brings people from different backgrounds, different political points of view, and brings them together as the church, the people of God, to do one thing, which is to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God. Amen. He ministered in Persia and was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. And Jude, sometimes called Thaddeus, was cu- crucified according to the Fox's Book of Martyrs. So we have these 12 ordinary men who are with Jesus his three years who seemingly lose any aspect of following Jesus when he's crucified to then taking the gospel message to the ends of the earth and giving their life for that message. And it is the church in which we are the heritage of these men, the 12 new covenant disciples of Jesus in which we now are the people of God, new covenant believers who are followers of Jesus, who give our lives to the message of the gospel. Second Corinthians 5.20 says this, therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. 
We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That word is a good word for us as disciples who are now sent or ambassadors of Christ. When we end our time together on Sunday morning, we say the words, you are sent. And we mean that. Why? Because we believe that you are not only a learner or a follower or a student, but you as the people of God are those whom he will send into a lost and dying world in need of the message of the gospel. So praise God for you who go to your school and represent Christ. Praise God of you who go to your workplace and represent Christ. Praise God for you who go to your Thanksgiving meal and you will represent Jesus Christ to your family. Praise God for you in this room. And we have two who are, are, are currently, maybe three, who are currently registered in the pipeline for the International Mission Board. And they will go to an unreached people group. And they will share the gospel. Praise God for you. You are all ambassadors on behalf of Christ. We gather together to be sent. But be reminded, people of God, of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful, not many of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Make it unmistakable that God has chosen you for his purpose, and he does have a purpose and a mission for you. If you don't know that yet, I would love to sit down and talk to you about that. I've talked to countless people through the years, and our pastors would be happy to talk to you about what is your purpose. What does God have designed for your life? One of the things of being a pastor is allowing people to come to us and say, well, I'm not really sure what God wants for us to do. And I usually ask them the question, well, what do you like to do? What do you enjoy? How has God built you? How has he created you? Let's do that. Because he's designed you for a specific purpose and he will empower you with his spirit to accomplish his purposes praise God for his church and the beautiful picture of his church. Maybe God may be calling you this morning. There's pastors who are willing to talk to you this morning as we enter into a time of invitation. If you'll stand with me, we're going to pray together. And then after we pray together, the altar is open. If God is calling you to himself to say, I want to believe upon Jesus. I want to surrender my life to Christ. Maybe today's that day for you. You can do that today. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you about what the next steps are in your life. 
Maybe you want to pray for God to, to use you in your workplace or in your family or in the mission field that he has called you to. Maybe you don't have the boldness to do that. Let's pray for the boldness, that God will give you that boldness. There's pastors up here that would love to pray with you, to spend time with you, to hear your heart. But all of us as the people of God need to respond to the word of God. Do you know that God has a mission for you? Do you know you have a purpose in this earth? Let us be people who fulfill the purpose in which God has sent to us. Let's be a church who are filled with people who know their purpose in which God has given to them and are fulfilling their purpose. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you would help people to respond to your word and your truth. Father, if there's people here that need to be with Christ, that need to be in the, in the body of Christ, that need to be in the people of God, that need to surrender their life to Jesus, we pray that they would do that this morning. You may be calling them through your spirit. Father, if there's people that have been learners for a long time in this room, that have been disciples and followers of Jesus, we pray, Father, that they would, they would be burdened for lost people. They would be burdened with the message of good news that you have given to us that they would be burdened to use their knowledge of the truth of God's word into the lives of other people, that they would pour out, that they would be a drink offering, Father, as you were an offering for us. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the people here that have invested so much. And we praise you for what you're doing amongst your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you come and let us sing in response to the Lord this morning?